0: Hey guys, this is Jared Causey, and you're listening to Causey's Conversations. Well, hello there, and welcome back to Causey's Conversations. I am your host, Jared Causey, as the intro says. It's been a while, I know. I've been in school, and things have been really busy over here in Fort Worth, Texas, but it's been great. God has been good. I've learned a lot this past year or so in seminary things have been kind of picking up in terms of ministry goes i'm serving as a pastoral assistant at graceview baptist church now it's been a wonderful blessing being there i'm grateful for that congregation and i'm going to enjoy my time there and um hopefully that the time i spend there is is a, is years to come and i'm just i'm fortunate and glad to to be there to be a part of the staff there and uh, that body of believers. So anyway, so just a quick update here on kind of my life. Um, I am in the THM program now that's the Masters of theology here at Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. I've been doing that for, for this past semester. I graduated in this past December, so December of 2020 with my master masters of, Divi- of Divinity. Um, so I, I finished that in December, graduated. Took a very short month long break from education. I'm, I'm back in it already. So, like, no, basically, no break really for me. No rest for the weary. It's been great, though. I've enjoyed it. I, I could not see myself in any other um, place at this point. You know, this has just been a great blessing to be here at Southwestern. I've enjoyed my time here. The professors have been great. And, like I said, I've been learning a lot, I've been doing a lot of history um, You know, history stuff, and uh, just been it's been great. I've really, uh, really done a lot of great, a uh, lot of um, you know, just experienced a lot of great things here at Southwestern. And so, I'm, I'm going to continue in the program until I finish, obviously, which will be hopefully next spring. I'll be done with the THM, and then I will take a very long break. Um, and jump into the PhD. Uh, so that long break is going to be only three months. So I'm, I'm going to jump right into it, assuming I get accepted. So I, that hasn't happened yet. I haven't even started the process of applying for the PhD here at Southwestern, but I will be doing that very shortly. So I'm, I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be a great time and uh, just my wife, she's been very supportive, Amy Causey, I'm sure those of you listening know who that is, and so she's been great. She's doing well. She just took her professional engineer um, test, and hopefully she passed. And I mean, I we don't know yet. We'll get the final results back in a few months, but as of now, we are confident that she did well, but you know, if um, for some reason she has to take it again, uh, she'll take it again. And she'll do well. I mean, she's very smart and um, she's she's done great. So I had to you have to be the proud husband. I have to have that proud husband mov- moment here at the beginning. So now that I've done, I've I've finished kind of rambling and talking about my life. It is uh, time to get into our topic for today. And hopefully we will continue this on a weekly basis. That's my goal, hopefully to get more guests on. I have more guests that, um, there's more people that I have thought of about coming on um, and doing this. And I have so I have several guys that I'm going to line up to do that, hopefully. I have a few guys in particular out on my mind, some repeat guests. But, uh, but a, a few cool topics I've thought about recently, a lot of it to do with, kind of some Lord of the Rings-type episodes, so if you're a Lord of the Rings fan, you might enjoy that. If you enjoy classical um, or uh, classic literature, um, I think we're going to dive into some classic literature there. But for today, we're going to talk just about a pretty simple topic. Uh, You know, For me, anyway, I I enjoy talking about this, Uh, so I just wanted to kind of start off something that just was pretty simple but pretty, I think, important for Christians. And that is why is church history important because today in today's society we especially in evangelicalism we look at church history as something that's cool maybe maybe some of us are interested in church history which is great but we don't think it's very it's necessary for Christians to learn like we don't really think it's that important in general that's kind of the the kind of the feel i get from a lot of people that i meet that's not to say that anyone's intentionally saying this or or meaning it this way, but the way we kind of portray how we interact with church history, it seems very sloppy at times. And that's that's for anyone, even anyone that's interested in church history. We can be sloppy with church history, of course. Um I can be guilty of this, anyone can. But you know, I I definitely see um you know, I I see that a lot of, especially Baptists, we, we seem to be disconnected from our forebears. We seem to kind of live in this echo chamber, and we think, okay, church history did not start until Billy Graham. You know, the that's the furthest back people are willing to go to look at, and even then, like we we don't even tend to look at things that have taken place between now and back when Billy Graham began his ministry. Um, and so, I mean, the, the, the reason why I say that is because when I when I talk to people, you know, number one, there's a, a, a very much a, a unfamiliarity with the creeds, the ecumenical creeds, the Nicene creed, the apostolic creed, the Chalcedonian creed, the Athanasian uh, creed, all these creeds that the early church um, and on uh, formulized. um No one knows about them, you know? No one knows about the history of the Reformation, it seems like, in most Baptist churches. No one knows about the Great Awakening, the Second Great Awakening. Um, People don't know about the medieval period, really, and and the imperial church and Constantine. And we know their names, maybe, but we don't know what actually happened and, and how it happened, why it's important for us today. Like, Because here's the thing. When you look at church history as just cold, hard, dead facts, then you're going to be disappointed. You know, you're going to look at that and say, well, this is really boring. I got more time. Um, I got I got more things to do. Um, I can't waste my time just thinking about these dead people that don't matter. Well, the reason why we say that if we do is because we really don't understand what church history does for us today. Church history will teach us lessons. It will teach us about ourselves. It will teach us about God's people throughout generations, and it will help warn us um, to not, not make the same mistakes, um, or it will help us in our journey as we figure out how to handle particular issues within the church today. Um, you know, so for example, when we look at kind of our the political nature of you know of our you know of our country right now. You know, we can easily look at back in church history and look at what Christians have done throughout uh, throughout the years. We've seen maybe we can see ways that have it's been handled poorly. We can be we can see ways that it's been it's been handled very very well uh, in in re- relation to political intensity. So, you know, that's just one example. But you know, I think of probably the most relevant probably the most relevant example I can think of. Uh, That And maybe I'm a little biased in saying this, but uh, it's probably the the nature of our worship services in our churches and how they look comparatively to the past. I'm not talking about contemporary music, uh, contemporary style music versus non-contemporary style, like traditional, like organs, pianos, whatever. I'm just saying the way we conduct our worship services, the thought that we put into them— the the intentionality or the lack thereof of the liturgy that we have within our churches, it seems like many local churches today have a, a very kind of a misunderstanding at best of what the local church is for and what our, our worship, when we gather together on the Lord's Day, what is the purpose of it? And so, I really think when we look at church history, we look at faithful believers throughout the generations, going, coming together, uh, coming together before the Lord on the Lord's Day uh, as the body of Christ in that local setting, and they gather together and they partake in communion. They listen to the preaching of the Word. They sing hymns and spiritual songs, and you notice that the point of them gathering together is to honor Christ, to give glory to God alone. That is the central purpose. Now, today, when people look, when when people say, hey, I'm going to go to church, they're going to church to to fulfill themselves, to be fulfilled themselves. So they'll go to essentially become a better Christian. Now, obviously, uh, when we do go to church, hopefully you do become a better Christian. That's not what I'm saying. But our goal, when we come together on the Lord's day, when we come together as God's people, we are not, we're not going there to perform. We're not going there to be transformed necessarily. We're going there to honor our Savior. We're going there to be amongst our brothers and sisters in Christ and partaking in God's will and God's people. We're we're, we're coming together as a body and doing that. And so when you, when you isolate ourselves, when you isolate your own local church and think, okay, it doesn't matter what else other Christians have been doing, it doesn't matter what other Christians are doing now, in the past or now, it doesn't matter. All that matters is what we're doing here and now. And you just ignore the past. And you don't understand that, that, hey, like, this body, this, this fellowship, this time of fellowship, it's to gather together and honor the Lord. And so that's one thing in, in church history I've learned so much is that like we when we do certain things the way we do, do we understand why? And do we understand if this is even the right thing to do? Um, in church in, in church history another example of the, that's of something I've I've kind of learned and gleaned from in church history is the fact that throughout history in the church, we Christians have thought so in, um, intuitively and intentionally on how their practices in the church in their ecclesiology how it what it communicates so like for example i'll get i'll give an example so back in the day like i mean like so basically pre-modern so that's before i would say the 1700s 1800s so basically 1600s and before um, that's kind of the pre-modern era. Um, you might can go back even a little further than that, uh, but at least you know, at least the 1600s backwards. They, when they built their churches, and he, even, and I'll say this, even in modern times, it, it, it's taken place. So, but but it happened so consistently in pre-modern times, and so much more. Churches built, they when they built their buildings, they built them to look like a church. They built them to communicate what they believe about God. And if you go to a cathedral, I'm not Roman Catholic, but I understand why they do what they do, like how why they build their buildings the way they do. It's because they're trying to communicate what they believe about God uh, and their relationship with Christ and all that in the church. Now, I might not agree with that, but at least like I can give them credit by saying these guys are at least being intentional with how they're communicating what they believe. Christians have been doing this for years and years and years. And so the point is, aesthetics matters, and that's another thing I've learned from church history is just that we like our buildings. Like if you look at our the way we we build our buildings today, our churches they look like they look like entertainment centers. They look like places for for people to perform. We the stage is is the center, and uh, on on that stage there's no there's no f- uh, fixated pulpit. There's no pulpit that's stationary. It's a movable pulpit usually. And what's at the really the center of the entire worship service is the music. And the reason why that is, is because people enjoy music, which I do too, and there's nothing wrong with that. But people's desires for music and being fulfilled emotionally has led them to yearn for this experiential moment within the within their church context during the worship service they want to be moved they want to to feel god they want to experience god by hearing the music feeling the music you know seeing the lights the kind of the concert lights that are going all around see what that communicates it communicates that that the the goal of this worship service is not to honor god it's to fulfill your own carnal desires. Now, when I say carnal, I don't mean necessarily sinful. It it can be sinful, but carnal just in that in the context that I mean. Um, and may, maybe I am using the word maybe incorrectly here. So I, I apologize. Apologize if I am, but I'm going to explain it. What I mean is is your 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 senses. That the, you're you're trying to uh, fulfill the senses. You're trying to to please your senses, your your ears, your eyes. You know, you want to be pleased in that manner. And it is um, not in of itself sinful necessarily, but when you are emphasizing that in the corporate worship time, there's an issue. And so when you look at church history, we see this, this dynamic between God's people and the church, that people gather together. Number one, it was a family. They were gathering together to to be with their church body, because they love their church body and they, they need to be with their their family. But more importantly, it was to honor and elevate their Lord um, and, and to hear the preaching of the word. And and yes, a part of that was to be to be transformed and to be encouraged um, and to be sent out. But it was more than that. It was it was about honoring God. And so throughout church history, there's just been this sense of that. Um, just looking at the reformers, what they did was, you know, the whole battle of the Reformation was to kind of retrieve this, um, the emphasis of the scriptures, to pl- to place the scriptures at the center of Christianity. That 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 the scriptures are our authority. That is the that is the essence of our authority. Now that doesn't mean there's not other. Um, other forms, uh, means of truth, for example, uh, logic and reason, or tradition, or general revelation. That's not excluding that. But Scripture is our authority. That is our main authority. That is, that is the standard by which we interpret all things. And so that's, that's kind of the battle that took place. So what they did was they, they, they moved the pulpit from the side in the Roman Catholic Church to the middle, the Eucharist would be always be in the middle, in the Roman Catholic Church, um, but now they, they place the preaching of the Word of God in the middle, and that is so important that that we elevate the Word of God um, because that is our standard of Christian faith and practice. And so, I mean, that's Second Corinthians three sixteen. It it fairly uh, well communicates that truth that Scripture is. Our authority. It is our main authority. It is not our only authority. You know, we, we have other uh, forms of truth that we we can can glean from. Um, I'm not saying so. Like for example, if I'm going to say scripture is the only form of truth that we can glean from, okay, we we have to neglect math and science and history and all that and tradition. All I'm not saying that. I'm saying that that scripture is the foundation, and everything else comes from that. And so that's, that's what I mean by that, to, to be clear what sola scriptura means. So church history, the importance of it. I've, I've kind of gone on about some of the specific examples of how I've learned and how I've you know benefited from church history. Another thing is being a Baptist, like what what does that mean? What does it mean to be a Baptist? I've learned so much in church history about why I am a Baptist, why I should be proud of that, and maybe I've realized and recognized that our, the Baptists, we've had some things wrong. We have th- we've had some things that we need to correct and improve on. Um, for example, a lot of Baptists have um, proclaimed the statement of no creed but the Bible. Um, and, and while well-intentioned, um, that statement in of itself is a creed. You know, saying that there's no creed but the Bible is a creed in of itself. You know, I mean, and, and so I get what they're trying to say. And this is what many Baptists have said in the past. But today, um, I mean, we need to recognize that, yes, the Bible is our authority. That is our standard of Christian faith and practice. But we must we must have an articulation of what we believe about the Bible. We must have a clear Uh, Proclamation of what we believe about the christian faith we have to be clear about that We cannot just say I just believe in the bible and that's it We have to be clear with what we believe and that's another thing A lot of a lot of baptists have gotten gotten that wrong, but some have gotten that right too some have in fact many have but a lot of baptists are also known for no creed but the bible that statement so and and so Baptist history is a very interesting thing and there there are plenty of resources out there about Baptist history and one um, great guy to to read is is Gregory Wills he's a guy a professor here at Southwestern great Baptist historian uh, there's more um, Robert Caldwell here at Southwestern another guy he's not a Baptist historian he's an kind of more American evangelical Historian. Uh, he's another guy, though, that has uh, interacted a lot with with Baptists um, and stuff like this, in 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 similar in in similar uh, fields there. So, uh, but but if you're interested, I, I definitely recommend studying history of your denomination, of of your spiritual ancestry. It's so important. Reading. Even going beyond the Baptist, going all the way back to the church fathers, reading them, reading what they believed. Maybe you don't agree with them on something. I, I understand. I've read a, I've read a lot of church fathers, and they've they've definitely said some things. I'm like, what in the world is going on here? But in the end, I still glean something from them. I'm encouraged in my faith. I don't become Roman Catholic. I don't become Eastern Orthodox. I, I'm, I am encouraged in my faith. I learn from them, and I also learn from the Reformers. I learn from, from the Baptists. I learn from the Puritans. I learn from even Methodists, even uh, Presbyterians. I mean, I learn from all these different guys throughout church history, because guess what? These guys are brothers and sisters in Christ. And I, I am privileged and blessed to be able to sit here and have these resources I would be a fool to ignore them so Christian I want to encourage you today don't neglect church history don't neglect what our forebears have went through don't neglect the stories of the missionaries um, one guy I can think of a missionary a Baptist missionary at Ad- Adonai and Judson um, Judson yes I think so um, he is such a. If you read his um, his bi- uh, biography, there's a biography about him called "To the Golden Shores." It is just a phenomenal, a, a phenomenal um, a book. It, it's a phenomenal biography that tells the story of Adoniram Judson and his wife. Um, I forgot her name. Um, he had, so he, he was married a few times. Um, he was first married to. Anne, um, Hasseltine, Judson, uh, Sarah Hall, Boardman was his second wife, and thirdly, Emily Chubbuck. I think that's how you say her name. I'm sorry if I'm mispronouncing that. But they, uh, the, the first two passed away uh, before he did. And so it's just like, it, you know, he he didn't like divorce them and then move on. you know, that, that didn't happen. he He, you know, he was married to one um and um Anne Judson, and she passed away in the field. He was a, so he was a missionary in India. and he's just reading this biography that I referred to earlier just it's so encouraging. It shows the life um that that he lived and also the sacrifice that he made. Um, for the sake of the gospel not for himself not to be famous um, he had no clue he would be well known or anything like that um you know at the beginning of his uh, you know life um, his salvation experience was amazing um just the he, for a while he was just a deist um, he didn't really have any theological, uh, strong theological convictions and um, and you know didn't really didn't profess Christ whatsoever um, but yeah so I, I, I bring up guys like him because if you are going to live the Christian life to, to live in an echo chamber and not interact with the men and women that came before us it's just it's just a shame. And we have to do better as Christians, evangelicals, specifically my Southern Baptist brothers and sisters. Many of you who listening to this are probably Baptist, And I just want to encourage you to, to read church history. Don't just read the facts. Don't just read the dates and the people, the places and all that. Think of the movements. Think of what happened. Think of how liberalism overtook many then-conservative denominations and are now... And those denominations now are liberal. I mean, example, PCUSA. I know I'm kind of jumping all over the place, um, but I'm doing that for, for a reason. You know, the, the PCUSA, um, it was the original Presbyterian uh, denomination in the early 20th century. It was overtaken by modernism or liberalism. And it was overtaken and it became liberal. And, now, and then the conservatives left and they started the PCA, um, so Presbyterian Church of America. Um, they they did that, and so I say all that to say it's important to know why that happened, so that we don't fall into those same mistakes today, to be able to to see the issues and see what's happening. To see that guy like people might say hey I'm conservative I affirm these doctrinal truths and and while many people say that and they're they're being honest a lot of liberals what they'll do is they'll play lip service they will say hey I affirm this confession of faith or whatever da 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 when in reality they don't they don't when you talk to them about their theology they reject much of what that confession says like the PCUSA guys that that denomination they still uphold, as far as I understand, the Westminster Confession of Faith. Yet, none of what they believe is consistent with the Westminster Confession of Faith. They've abandoned it. Uh, many mainline denominations have done that. The Methodist Church, in many ways, have done that. And The reason I'm... I'm not attacking these denominations. I'm just I'm I'm explaining and communicating what has taken place in many of our denominations. It's because a of lack of understanding of church history and what has happened. And today, many many people are very naive to the liberalism that is at many of our denomination and conventional uh, convention uh, doorsteps. They're they're there, and we have to be careful. And we have to be on the watch. But we also have to love others and be compassionate and gentle as we are doing that. This is not an either-or case. We can be loving, gentle, and compassionate while also being firm in our convictions and being watchful. We can do both. And that's my encouragement, is to read church history and be watchful in our modern present times. And know that Satan is... is. Seeking to devour God's people. He's seeking to make a mess. He's seeking to cause disunity. And we have to be aware of that and watch out for things to come that could eventually either wreck our church, our local church, or could wreck our denominations. Because we have many conservative denominations now, and I'm in one of them. Um, even though I think I do think there's there's some severe issues that that we need to, to look address in the SBC um, in terms of the um, social justice movement and all that. I think I think there is um, a legitimate concern with that. But do I think that all of my brothers and sisters in the SBC are, are in danger of 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 being heretics? Not necessarily, but I do I am concerned with the convention at large and where we're going. And we have to be careful. We really do. Um, And we have to um, be discerning based on what we read from church history. So my encouragement and what I want to leave you with is to lovingly and generously um, read church history with an open mind, but also with a foundation that is firm in truth. Um, open mind in the sense of being aware that there are other perspectives out there that you need to understand, and we need to represent people well. But at the same time, we need to be firm in what we believe um, in the gospel and in Scripture. So that's my encouragement. I hope you've been, uh, been you've benefited from this podcast. Uh, I know these podcasts when I do these solo, it's it's not. I'll, I'll be honest, it's not as good. I don't I don't think it's as good. I like to have guests on, so. Um, next, next week, I'll try to have a guest on. I'm not sure who it's going to be yet. I have a few ideas. Um, we'll see how that lines up. And um, But until then, may the Lord bless you this week and keep you. Um, I pray that God uh, works through you um, this, this week and, and, and to the, uh, for the weeks to come. So God bless you.